Amen. Well, hello, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Oh, yeah, good. Some of you, how many of you are like me and you have a lot of allergies that are just uh, absorbing your face? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the struggle bus with that one, but here we are. It is good for us to gather. Today we continue in our series, and by continue, we, we finish our series in Luke. We started this nine months ago. It has been quite the journey. For me personally, I feel like I've been been on this walk with the disciples as they discovered who Christ was, because we started with the birth of Jesus, and then it just goes from there in learning Jesus' teachings and his miracles and his life among everyone, and then finally his death and his burial and his resurrection, and today we learn some of the final moments before he ascends to heaven, and that's what we have recorded. I've been able personally, one of my favorite takeaways from this whole series is I've learned so much on this. I didn't know much about the book of Luke other than some basic studies I did growing up or other things, but I've been able to study it. I've been able to look through about 10 commentaries throughout the process. Several of you have looked at these two. You've asked me, you've emailed me at different times. What are you uh, working from or whatever, you know, along the journey there. And it's really wonderful when you get to teach scripture. So my encouragement to you is find ways to teach scripture, whether this is to your family or in a Bible study or in other, other platforms, maybe in a, in a smaller group. You're able to learn so much more when you don't just hear it, but you have to actually present something at times. And so uh, as, as we finish this out here, uh, I, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm a, a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a show hole or a end of a book hole in which I'm like, what's, what do I do now? I feel like I've been on this great, uh, I, I keep saying journey because it really captures the sense and here we are. So with that said, we are in Luke 24 and in this passage, we're going to be reminded that whenever we have answers, we can turn to Jesus. Specifically, if we have, or whenever we have questions, we can turn to Jesus for answers. Let me re-say that. So if we have questions about our faith or about our life specifically, we can turn to Jesus and we find answers. Consistently, time and time again, we can find answers. And we see this demonstrated in this passage and the principles from this continue even today. So let's read the passage. I'll, I'll read it. You can follow along starting in, well, it's chapter 24, starting in verse 13 at the end of Luke. We're going to read and I'll be pausing at different points to, to explain it. And this will finish out the book, which is crazy. I can't believe we're even at the end of this, this book. We, we rarely finish long books because I just, after a while, I feel like I need to take a break and then something comes up. So here we are at the end of Luke. It starts off this way, that very day, and just to remind, this is Resurrection Sunday, so that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Right, it's that line from movies, like, you fella are not from these parts, are you? Because you would not be asking, what are you talking about if you had been here and been present? So verse 19, Jesus says to these two who are walking, what things? And they said to him, 
Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Okay, so we're going to pause there for a moment because what they are talking about here captures uh, much of what we can experience at times. This, for them, was a crisis of faith. They had all this confidence that Jesus is who he said he was going to be and what he's going to do. He's going to redeem Israel, but then he was crucified, and now he's missing. For them, they are confused. They are shocked. There is this expectation they had of God, and God didn't meet them. So they're asking questions like, is God letting us down in this moment? For all these years, we saw Jesus do these miracles. And then just the other day, he was crucified. You know, they, had a, they knew that he had a, this meal with his disciples. And within 24 hours later, he's dead and already buried. What is going on here? You know, how could God allow Jesus to be crucified? Why would God allow the rulers to have this trial so quickly, and now he is dead, and now he is missing. So they'd be feeling this wave of gloom and of grief, and their emotion would be similar to what we see portrayed in Psalm 42. A few of the lines from there include this. My heart is breaking as I remember the past. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. You know, that kind of emotion is something that God's people and even Christians today can feel at any given time. Sometimes this happens after a mountaintop experience where the Lord moves. He blesses us with great strength or power. And then that next day or that week, we can be in a despairing low. We see this in the life of Elijah and the life of Moses, and in Christian biographies, and you and I, as we talk and we tell stories about what God is doing and how our weeks are going. Some of you may have experienced this since last week. Resurrection Sunday could have been a wonderful celebration for you, and then you might have found yourself, even this week, dealing with stuff that you would describe as a spiritual depression or being in melancholy and loneliness. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the old British pastor, preacher, he said... This, uh, he described this sort of feeling as fainting fits. In fact, he'd say these are moments in which we would walk through thick darkness, and he called it a tenfold night. These are those times when our cries to the Lord are like this, God, don't you care for me? Or God, why would you treat your people this way? It can happen, it can be triggered from a, a handful of different scenarios. Maybe it's personal loss or tragedy. Perhaps it's a Christian leader that you read about who has a moral failure that is uh, exposed that, that day or that week and it can cause you to, to really just stumble and, and fall in a low spot. Maybe you get into and read in on academic philosophies that are not 
uh, complemented with scripture and the truth there, and it can lead you into intellectual elitism or even on the other side of great despair. Perhaps you've been around a group of friends or coworkers long enough that they have dragged you away from the voice of Christ and you found yourself in a low spot. Well, these seasons of spiritual depression are true in scripture and in, in history and even for us today. And when we encounter these, what must we do? Well, we must turn to scripture. We must turn to Christ. The, the two in this story, they're walking and they have Jesus in the flesh right there to walk with them through this. We may not have Jesus in the flesh with us, but we do have his word, and we read this, and we can study this, and it will guide us and walk us through. In fact, my goal for you is, if you're not in that sort of a season, to prepare yourself well, to create spiritual muscle memory so you know where to turn, what to do, when you do encounter those moments. So, like the two in the story, let's turn to Christ. Let's look for some hope and some clarity in what Jesus says and how he meets them in this moment of Christ crisis and, uh, and confusion and despair. So verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I want to pause there again. Because we see Jesus encountering them in this moment. You know, Jesus meets us where we are. And in the resurrection uh, timeline, that post period, he's meeting everybody where they are. He meets these ladies in the garden and reveals who he is in the flesh. He spends time with these two walking. He spends some time at one point with Peter that we read about later. We know that he had a conversation with Doubting Thomas to show him his hands and his feet and the scars on his body from the crucifixion. We know that he spent time with his disciples, and in a little bit we're going to read how he's in a room with them. He meets them where they are, and he still does today, in which we can have truth that pierces that confusion. Now again, unlike having in, this, in these stories, we're reading Jesus, he's in the flesh. He's revealing he really did resurrect before he ascends. We do not have Jesus in the flesh right now next to us in these same sort of stories, but we do have his word, and it pierces the darkness. Friends, if we have questions about scripture or about our faith or have confusion on certain matters, really regarding faith and life, I urge you to read scripture and talk to people that are trustworthy in understanding what you're reading. So if you're reading some stuff, and some stuff's really straightforward, like most of the story so far, it doesn't take hermeneutical gymnastics to understand it. He's got two people walking and Jesus is right there walking with them. That makes logical sense. But there are other passages at times that are hard to understand. And when that is the case, if you're having trouble with that, there are great sources to turn to, not only some of our own pastoral staff and having conversations with, but also commentaries online and other, other great sites and scholars who have talked to this in a way that's easy to understand or understand better. And so I urge you, uh, you know, we don't, again, we don't have Jesus walking next to us like these two on the road to Emmaus, but we can understand who Jesus is and why he had to die and what he has for us. You know, years ago, I remember talking with Lynn, my wife, in, in, in a time where she had confusion regarding ver, uh, a, a, a core tenet of her faith. After having conversations with some friends for a while, they had uh, described to her some 
basics of our faith. And from my point of view, because I heard about it later, I would say it was in, in its full accuracy. And it was such an important pillar that it caused Lynn to have some confusion on this matter. And uh, not quite despair, but there were some really tough questions about, is this the God I've been worshiping? That's not, that's not what I'm seeing, not what I'm hearing. And we would talk through it a little bit in which I was reminded how important it is to have faithful interpretation of Scripture to prevent us from having not only confusion, but uh, derailing our faith in ways that, frankly, others have worked through and processed. And every question we have about Scripture, we can come and we can learn and we can study. And there are legitimate answers to every question. Even if the answer is, uh, I don't know, or there's mystery there, there are still reasonable supports around that being an okay answer. One of my favorite roles in this church is shepherding in the role of explaining scripture, talking through it. And I love meeting with several of you in which we we bring our uh, backgrounds and our own personal studies on the same matter. We can talk through it. It could be in a group. It could be over coffee. And I urge all of you to the degree that you can study scripture. And again, remember that Jesus gives us answers when we have questions time and time again. I've probably asked more questions than you may suspect. And in all of these, I consistently find good, solid answers regarding these matters. So for these two walking, they have these questions. Jesus is revealing how it all connects to the story. So let's read a little bit more on this. In verse 28, it says, They drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then he said to each other, or yeah, they they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Let me pause there on this part because I love their question they asked to one another about their hearts burning. I'll tell you, when you have confusion or uncertainty and you can have truth that is the answer in the middle of it, it clarifies things amazingly. And particularly biblical truth, it will stir within our hearts answers to uh, questions that we are desperate to have. In In the fullest sense, regarding that moment of salvation for us, our eyes are opened and we have this spiritual breakthrough, often described with this word called regeneration. Our heart has been primed by the Holy Spirit. We are ready to hear scripture. Then we turn and we repent and we find ourselves compelled to say, this is truth. I give my life to this. Jesus is our savior and he is now my savior and I am ready and I believe with my whole heart. And that kind of eye-opening moment can happen For anyone who's a follower of Christ, and even in that case, you go from what Scripture says is death to life, or 2 Corinthians 5 describes it as uh, a a new man being transformed, or a new creation is the language that is there, a new creation in Christ. And so we see this spiritual breakthrough that can occur with anybody, sort of akin to what these two folks go through. And, you know, it reminds me just in a real practical sense what something my kids are going through that's a, that's a really fun, uh, easy, uh, 
I don't know, kid activity that we can correlate to scripture as well. They have this caterpillar kit in which these caterpillars turn into butterflies. Have you guys ever done this with friends or kids or anything in your family? Yeah, some of you. So uh, ours, the challenge is that they just, uh, it, the, the, the jar keeps getting shaken. And so we'll see if they survive. <laughs> I might need to go buy caterpillars and like shove them in the, in the tank or something so that they see some, some sort of result. But with this, they get these caterpillars. And after a week or so, the caterpillars form their little chrysalis. And then after that time, uh, I don't know, some period of time, they come out as butterflies, right? Well, right now they're all in the chrysalis phase, so we'll see where they are in about a week. And with this, we can describe to them, hey, you know, this is very similar in a large metaphorical sense of what God does in our life. We are one way, and then there's this transformation, and then we are another. We are a new creation. We cannot go back. What God has done in us is sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we'll, we'll connect that in a way and then we'll see how much of that lands with their own little hearts and minds. But we want them to see that sort of connection. And so, friends, for you, <clears throat> going through this in, in the largest sense, this is spiritual breakthrough with regeneration of your heart and belief. And that is then displayed with baptisms, like what we're going to do today, uh, being made uh, or, or going down uh, like in Christ's death and raised up again in the likeness of Christ. So it's going to be a wonderful display later today of what we're talking about. But even on the more practical sense, on the day in and day out, I would remind us that we can have spiritual breakthrough with what God is doing in our life. When we have challenges, say, after you've already been saved, but now you've hit a, a roadblock. Again, maybe it's like a crisis of faith or not nearly that extreme, but still some major questions and some challenges and you want some answers. God, what are you doing here in my life Again, not just academic questions on some random theological point, but real life things that matter and it, it will make an impact on your marriage or in your parenting, like life, life questions that you have. In those moments, I remind us to look to scripture. So at the very end here, uh, verse 32 says, did our hearts not burn when he talked, when he opened, us, opened to us the scriptures? Friends, when we open scriptures, we can find answers. Anywhere from what Proverbs teaches us to direct teaching that applies to our life in, in every area that you might be struggling with or unsure on. And we, again, we come back to every time we do that, we must recognize Scripture is authoritative and Scripture leads us. What does the Bible say on this matter? Not what do we want it to say and then contort it to fit those certain things. So we can have breakthrough, whether it's that moment of salvation or even regular moments down the road, wondering, questioning, just like these two in the story. All right, well, now the scene changes. Jesus has disappeared, right, in the story, which that I'm not entirely sure, like, he could have just got up and walked out, but he, he disappeared. Oh, that's interesting. But we keep going. And in that moment, they got to go tell the other disciples about this. So verse 33 tells it like this. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has indeed has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. All right, so there is some very practical things in this passage that we should remember, although it's not the main focus, because I do think the whole passage is a great focus that when we have questions, we can turn to Jesus for answers. But in this section, we see a handful of things. First of all, Jesus demonstrates he's not a ghost. This isn't a hallucination. He's showing them his, uh, like the flesh and the marks, the scars. He asks for fish. He wants to eat it. He's right, he's right in front of them. They're probably staring like, is this fish going to fall out of his stomach? Or is this going to sit in him like a normal person? And so here he is eating it. And it, he's demonstrating that they are not, you know, on uh, hallucinating drugs. And they are definitely seeing a real, in the flesh, Jesus. He resurrected Okay, you know, one thing with that is not only that evidence there, but their little need to process this, beginning with disbelief and marveling and shock and uncertainty, it's a great evidence that this story is real. Because if you were to fabricate how these disciples and others in the room wanted to respond to Jesus, you would say that they saw Jesus, he showed up, and they were like, yeah, Jesus is real. I knew it the whole time. But instead, they have disbelief and they're struggling. And so many theologians write on this. They, they find it to be a fascinating description that you wouldn't find in most ancient works. And you see this actual, normal sort of response that people would have in this situation. So that's another thing we can, we can see here. But the last one is this. Jesus' presence in the flesh gives us a picture of our glorified bodies one day, and it gives us a promise of them as well. It helps us to know that what Jesus says about our resurrected bodies, one day in the new heaven and the new earth, they are real, they are in the flesh, and he's evidenced it or proven it in light of this interaction he's having right here. And so some people wonder, like, what will life be like one day? Will we just be like ghosts? Will we float around in the sky? Will we be playing harps and all sorts of... No, it's like, no, no. What we see here is tangible, real life. I don't know what we will look like. I don't know if I will be, you know, the young man Adam or an old man Adam. And I don't exactly know what that will look like. However, we do know that it will be in the flesh. And the best part of that promise is that we will be in the flesh, but without the sin nature at work without the desires of the flesh that are sinful at work, without the enemy. By that point, he will be cast in the lake of fire. And so imagine a world where your body or your desires aren't sinful and the world you're in isn't broken and the enemy isn't tempting you. It's going to be a really great day. And that sort of reality is something we get to look forward to and we see demonstrated here with Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Now, listen to what he says here. In verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the, and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Which at that point, that last sentence, they wouldn't have known what he's talking about. And then the experiences on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 2, which is part 2 of Luke's works here. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke has a part one to Theophilus and part two to Theophilus is the book of Acts. So Jesus in this moment here, he explains scripture, specifically using scripture to explain who Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one is, how he's a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, how the, uh, the, his resurrection is a demonstration of his power, how the work on the cross was a means for forgiveness for sin that comes by our repentance and our belief along with that, and then how this message of salvation is for the entire world. So it's not just limited to Israel, but it, is, it begins with Israel and expands from there. Now, this totally blew their minds because as they were saying in the beginning of the story with the, just the two on the road, they were saying, like, isn't Jesus the one who was supposed to redeem Israel? But he died, and now he's missing. Well, now he's explaining how it all interconnects, kind of filling in all the different points. It reminds me a little bit of, like, a TV show or something where, I don't know, you don't know how it all works. And then at the end, the director and the screenwriter compare, you know, they put it all together and like, ah, oh, that's, that's how you did it. Well, in this case, Jesus is explaining all these different things, and he even includes the importance and the power of the unified fellowship of the breaking of bread together and how that gives us assurance in truth and just that kindred spirit of what God says. That's a very interesting dynamic that occurs here in, in this passage. And then at the end, we have, this is the last few verses of this whole book. And it says this, and he, being Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and this would have occurred later, not this same day. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. For us, we should have such inspiration and hope because of their response to Jesus departing. He spent time with them and then he ascends to heaven. And rather than them sort of running around beside themselves saying like, woe is me or what is happening or how are we to proceed? They have excitement. They have power. They have a, a unified spirit. I mean, their, their, their leader here was just, he was killed, but then also he's ascended. So he's not among them. And you would almost expect, because this happens often, when there's the disappearance of the leader, people scatter and the movement ends. But that's not what happened in this case. You have the people of God who are inspired. They continually worship. They have been instructed by Jesus on how he's the fulfillment of all that they were hoping for, how their questions, would you redeem Israel? Like, I thought that's what you're here for. He explains, yes, I will. But it is not in the political redemption from Rome that you're expecting in this exact moment. It's bigger. It's for the world. It revolves around salvation and God's kingdom being built. And so he explains to them, 
in, in broad pictures here how God's plan for history did not fail. It just didn't end yet. There's more work to be done as we read again in part two of Luke's work in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is about to ignite the church with power to go into the world proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming forgiveness, and all our need to repent of our sin and respond to God. So these disciples and the other followers, they were commissioned. They were focused. And likewise, we should be too. Here we finish the book of Luke, and the end doesn't end so much with a period. It ends much more with Go and be sent. This is the message. This is what changes our life. This is the story of our Savior. And so let us also, you know, go about life proclaiming the truth as we await the return of Jesus, just as these disciples did as well. And so uh, my, my challenge for us as we go forward here is, uh, and Maddie and the team, you guys can come up here and, and lead us out in this last song. My challenge for us as a church, as we finish the whole book of Luke, is to find ourselves commissioned in the same way that these disciples did too. They had questions Jesus answered for them. They may have had others, like you and I always do. And maybe some of those things he said, you know, let me focus on the questions that, that really matter and the ones that I want to focus on here. And then they feel sent. The ascension that we read is the summary that Luke adds uh, here. He actually expands more on that in Acts chapter 1 in, again, part two, as I keep calling it. And so if you want to read more on that, you can. And the disciples knew they needed to go. They needed to go proclaim the gospel into the whole world. And so here we have the same encouragement. God has us here locally in this town, unless you're visiting from away or you live somewhere, you know, in cyberspace, or, and so you're anywhere. And God has you where he has you to be a vessel of his grace in your workplace, in your family, in your school, be faithful in that place. And then one day, he may send you somewhere else. And if he does, uh, be faithful there too. In all these different spheres of influence that he has you, let us do well to continue what the disciples gave to us. I mean, they didn't directly tell us, but they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. And we could do this again and again for about a thousand uh, groups of people or so. And then it got to us and we have the gospel, we live it out, and now we want to carry that to someone else who hasn't heard it or doesn't know it or needs to be reminded of it. And if you're hearing all this, you're thinking, well, this sounds really great, but I, I am not a follower of Christ. Then I encourage you to do what I have done and many around you have done, and that is ask questions, seeking answers in scripture, not man-made empty philosophies. Talk with me or others, and we will reasonably and walk through all this. This is this is a process that's not just academic head knowledge, though, or intellectual. It's also your heart and that resonating, like what we see with them saying, their hearts are burning within them. And if that's you, you're surrounded by others who've been in the same spot. And so I encourage you to do good diligence of seeking who is Jesus Christ. If this guy really did all this and this whole journey that's recorded in Luke, I got to know who this person is. That's my prayer that you would really seek that. And bring your questions humbly, you know, not arrogantly. Bring them humbly before God, and you will find fantastic answers regarding all of them. And if you have challenges in that, talk with me or others, and we'll help you discover some of that as well. So with that, let me pray for us, and we're going to conclude.